0: Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks in a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 167. Well, just ahead, the oil business is driving the business of U.S. Steel. And the pandemic offering a rare opportunity to rental car companies. And Avis saw the light. And a productivity tool Smartsheet has seen sales jump 45% over the last year. So, what is working at Smartsheet? We'll dig
1: in with SmartSheet CEO Mark Mater. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's era, dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. But when you do so, if you hit the subscribe button, you can follow us and catch every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more.
0: I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster from Los Angeles. Isaac, how are you? And Corey, where in the world are you today? Um, hard to say. Looks like Chicago to me.
1: Looks like Chicago. Okay. Well,
2: nice. Just my lousy microphone. Forming.
0: Apologies to the listeners. We'll see if we can get this fixed before the interview happens. But first, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I want to start with U.S. Steel. Since I'm here in the Midwest, not too far from Akron, Ohio, home of U.S. Steel.
1: U.S. Steel trades under X, as uh, many of us all know. X shares have dropped almost 12% over the past 12 months. But uh, X shares, U.S. Steel, has been steadily climbing in the past month, up almost 35% over the past four weeks.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you that all the shows, all the the companies we discussed today, um, I picked because they had notable price-to-free cash flow um, ratios. That is, the price of the stock compared to how much free cash flow or price of the entire market cap of the company of all the stock out existing compared to the free cash flow of the business and of all the mid cap stocks that I looked at US Steel had one of the lowest prices to free cash flow 1.7 times free cash flow Um, and I think it's you know it's an interesting time for the steel business we've had a big slowdown in China Uh, we of course have had shortages that have led to um, limited production of automobiles so it was interesting to me to look at the uh, US steel which has been in the midst of a big turnaround. Uh, and look at what they had to say recently about what's driving their business and yes, um auto and appliances are you know I don't know if you've tried to buy any refrigerators lately Isaac.
1: have you actually actually during the pandemic, we had to get our refrigerator replaced
0: yeah, yeah. and the and supply's been rough in the appliance business and yeah. in the auto business it, um
1: but interestingly, it was an eight months it was an eighth month journey,
0: yeah. Well, um, U.S. Steel uh, has been navigating this by trying to go to lots more markets than they used to. And what's interesting to them is one of the things that's been really strong for these guys is the energy business. When one drills an oil well, and I know you don't drill a lot of oil wells, Isaac, although, you know, who knows what you've done in the last week. But uh, when one drills an oil well, (laughs) after you drill the well, um, then you case the well, which is to say that you drop pipes in. Um, and those pipes form a, a more rigid barrier and allows the oil to come straight up instead of up and into the surrounding rock. Um, in fact, one of the things that, uh, that used to happen in the oil uh, world was people were trying to figure out um, where, how well your neighbor was drilling for oil or how how deep your neighbor was drilling. They would actually have spotters out with binoculars to count how many casing pipes were going into the ground to figure out how dr- deep they were drilling. Well, that casing business is picking up the oil business, is using a lot more steel. So says the CEO of U.S. Steel, Dave Burritt. In the near term,
3: there's different dynamics across many of the markets we serve. But, but our order book and in-market diversification, it's a, it's a great advantage. We're not dependent upon just one market. It's not just auto for us. We got multiple markets that we serve. Not one dominates. We're a lot more balanced. As far as automotive and appliance, the supply chain issues are persisting. I'd say they're, they're a bit less, but we're still gonna have those challenges. The good news is mine melted and made in the USA. And uh, we basically find ourselves in a much more resilient position, especially with strong trade enforcement. Industrial construction and service centers. I'd say that uh, we're we're seeing mixed or cautious buying. Just saw the inflation headline here. Obviously, that's an impact on on um, everyone. But while we saw GDP um, negative in the first quarter and second quarter, that doesn't mean that U.S. steel is tied to those GDP numbers. What it means is we're more resilient than ever before and we're preparing for the future and and, uh, being ready for whatever markets we serve. But the the really bright spot here for us is in in energy. It's a unique exposure and really strong demand for us today. The the tubular business, for example, is so very different than a year year ago and it's a much more meaningful contributor to EBITDA. far as the near term goes, the actions we're taking, we're, we're managing the inventory, optimizing our loading plans, matching our production with the order books. And, and it's
0: going fine. So the tubular business, who knew tubular tubular, but uh, these guys, these guys seem to be doing a better job of managing inventory and hitting lots of different fields, which is making their business a little safer from single industry turndowns.
1: Yeah. I I guess the, tubi- the tubular business um, I have not really thought ever much about, but I imagine that it's had its feast and famine days. And this is a feast moment. Uh, Well, we'll see. I mean, once again, this is a topic we keep revisiting is when will they
0: really start drilling in the oil field? Um, We're seeing these little suggestions that it might be happening.
1: Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Avis. Avis, the car rental company, trades under CAR, C-A-R, and shares have risen over 112% in a year. Still, they have a ways to go to reach their 52-week high, which is 545 dollars a share well once again that's 52 week high yeah uh the price
0: to free cash flow drew drew me to this story again although we've talked about davis on the show in the past but uh, it's trading at yeah. two times it's free cash flow again That's an awfully low number um and i thought what was interesting for these guys is you know obviously during the pandemic people were not traveling they were not renting cars uh, and there also were not a lot of cars to rent because these guys of course are big buyers of cars and sellers of cars so um uh their their business they you know when the pandemic hit these guys took a good hard look at at what they how their business worked and what their fixed costs were and how low they could go um and what they really found is kind of right sizing their business uh, both in terms of where they had uh offices and so on uh, as well as what fixed costs they could get rid of um has them kind of set up to do what they're doing right now, which is to do quite well and grow their business quite well, uh, and get a lot more um, revenues and a lot more profits for for each sort of capital investment for this company. Here's
4: CEO Joe Ferraro. We learned an awful lot during the pandemic, Um, uh, you know, effects on our business. And we took a real hard look at our cost basis, both fixed and variable. I mean, we attacked fixed really hard. We looked at our infrastructure and, and profitable ways to run our business and uh, you know a lot of that cost will never come back um, we're very careful to monitor that and that doesn't say we don't look at our initiatives and our strategic environment to say where we need to spend money but um, we're pretty comfortable at our operating levels the way it stands now with our growth in rental days that we had compared to 2019 on a fixed cost basis on a more variable side you know we're dealing with the effects of inflation like anybody else and we've spent a lot of time and energy trying to develop strategies that will minimize these effects on us. For example, you know, our productivity environment has improved greatly since 2019. In other words, we're getting more production out of the uh, current pace of of our employees, and probably I'd have to say that's probably in the the double-digit range, as it stands right now, through technology innovations on you know, um, on peer group rankings, on how people clean cars and how many cars people rent per, per day, an hour, et cetera, things like that. You know, we've been very heavily involved in vehicle telematics over the years. Those have helped us develop strategies to guard ourselves against gas and the rising cost of gasoline. So that certainly has uh, has helped minimize that, that disruption uh, to the point where we are having um record gas collection months um in the previous last couple of months you know we've uh we have uh um, the ability to augment and price our vehicles and place them in the best possible places which has helped our overall you know um, uh, revenue and also our, our fleet and make sure they get utilized in the right spots so we'll continue to look at both fixed and variable we have a number of initiatives that we are examining every day. It's part of our strategic footprint on how we want to operate. And yes, also interesting
0: that with rising gas prices, that these guys actually get a little bit more margin off of those, uh, uh, those cars that get returned less than full.
1: What a difference a year makes. It was just a year ago, we were talking about car rental companies. I don't know if we were talking, I don't remember if we were talking about Avis particularly, but it was difficult to rent a car. And when you could get a car here in the U.S. at least, summer of 2021, they were, they were expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it has come off a bit. We, uh, my family was just in Chicago, as you are right now, and we rented a car. And I'll tell you, it was very inexpensive. Very inexpensive. I'm all for it. How inexpensive, Isaac? How inexpensive, Isaac? It was like, 80, uh, like $50 a day for an SUV. Now, was uh, this a nice SUV? well i'm sure to some people it would have been nice it wasn't that nice of a car for us but hey it got the job done and i like that price you're happy i'm happy Corey, what is your next drill down look at the
0: graphic packaging holding company you know this one right (laughs)
1: <laughs> is this a dunder mifflin no no offense this is this um, is
0: kind of like the real
1: dunder mifflin <laughs> yes it is So this company is in atlanta uh, not scranton but yeah right so the graphic packaging holding company is not fictional it's a real company it trades at a gpk shares have risen 21 percent a year trading right now at just about their 52 week high of 23 and change
0: so yes, the graphic packaging holding company based in Atlanta, Georgia, with about a $13 billion uh, enterprise value. Um, this company uh, is it quite the opposite when it comes to price to free cash flow. It's trading about 15 times its free cash flow. Um, uh, now wow. again, this company has a lot of debt, so that, that sort of helps explain a little bit about the market cap. But uh, this is a paper company. Um, and they make packaging solutions for, uh, interestingly, for food, beverage, and food service uh, uh, businesses so whether it's it's coffee cups or lids and food containers or folding cartons or uh, stuff for quick service restaurants um, these guys you know if you think about the needs of that kind of a paper product they are unique it's company about eight billion dollars in revenue in the last 12 years and, and growing quickly not least of which by doing lots of acquisitions but uh, as you may have noticed you may have read this in the papers or maybe you saw it on your local local news They did raise prices for uh, solid bleach bleach sulfate, uh, which in the industry, of course, is known as SBS back in August. They had another $50 a ton. Uh, They don't cover that in the local news in Los Angeles.
1: You know what? I haven't read much about that, but um, it makes a lot of sense now that you mentioned it. (laughs) Well, SBS folding card (laughs) prices up up I couldn't even make a joke about it.
0: Wow. But that's a big rise in prices, right? (laughs) That's Um, a huge rise. And these guys are being really aggressive about price. And indeed, they're they're you know when some of the analysts have looked at this business, they say there's absolutely no reason for them to raise prices here, but they're able to get away with it. So they just keep jacking prices. Um, And these guys uh, are in particular in SBS, uh, which is um, particularly used for like it's like the fancier, maybe glossier paper, the stuff you might see with like greeting cards or cosmetics boxes, that kind of thing. Ah, okay. That's what their, their Jack and SBS prices. Um, and the customers for this company include like Pepsi and um, General Mills, Nestle and so on. Um, Unilever is a big customer for these guys. But I thought it was interesting to look at them uh, just look at the kind of factors they consider when it comes to raising prices because it is a little bit of a mystery as their business has been so strong they just keep taking price and keep taking price and keep raising prices. Here's CEO Mike Doss
3: variety of factors when we look at um, you know, making our pricing
4: decisions
3: and uh, what we decide to do on the various substrates and one of the biggest ones is around operating rates and when you look at the operating rates that we've seen on these substrates and and uh, how they've been very firm um, actually you know at the high end of the range from a historical standpoint over the past uh, you know few years You know, that's informed a lot of our decision-making process, along with the backdrop of inflation that's been really unprecedented in terms of what we've seen. So, we want to stay out in front of that. We're assessing that. Uh, We look at it on a a routine and regular basis, as you can imagine. Um, And beyond paperboard, we're looking at our existing contracts we have with customers. We continue to look for opportunities to refine that, particularly in a market like the one that we're in now, um, because it makes sense for us to do that on contractual renewals.
0: So these guys getting ahead of price increases uh, to protect their margins, I think it's pretty interesting. We hear about so many companies that are being reactionary, but these guys are just pushing things and, and, and jacking their prices because they can.
1: See, I think that's fascinating as well. And maybe that's why we love business use like we do, but you know, it's interesting to see a company like this, know its clients and know they're gonna pay that higher premium for the same product.
0: All right, coming up next, a really interesting productivity tool, Smartsheet, the company behind it called Smartsheet, uh, is seeing some really fantastic growth, CEO Mark Mader joins us to dig into Smartsheet right after
1: this. The drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs. Porsche Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more.
0: Welcome back to the drill down podcast. We're joined as we promised by the smart sheet CEO, Mark Mater. Mark, um, glad to have you on the show. You guys have a big business that impacts a lot of business people that I think people who don't use your product. Don't know a damn thing about it. It's, it's, it's fascinating. How do you how do you describe SmartSheet to people? Well, what happens when you encounter a stranger and let them know that you are the CEO of SmartSheet when they use SmartSheet?
2: Well, Corey, thanks for having Smartsheet me. SmartSheet products, I Thank, should say. Thanks for having me on. It, it's fortunately more often now we're seeing people say, "Oh, I know what that is," or "I've used it with." Um, it, what's What's fascinating about the business is that it doesn't really have any boundaries in the sense that. Um, we are helping teams and organizations work better, and I don't care if you are an F1 team trying to <laughs> launch a new vehicle, or you are a big pharmaceutical company trying to bring the drug to market, or you are you know, Amman Resorts, the luxury uh, hotelier who is trying to uh, market their properties more effectively. And the, what, what we originally did with the business was try to help teams who were managing work in very what I call primitive ways, things like um, Excel workbooks and email, and try to enable them to graduate to a better way of working. And what we found is that many people are very interested in working better, and just the same number of people are willing to do very very little to achieve it. (laughs) And that's really what we've been able to build over the last decade plus.
0: Yeah, when I look at it, I, I see it, it, of course, you would have Excel because you guys are up there in the Seattle, Bellevue area was surrounded by Microsofties, but, it, but I look at it as when I looked at the products online, and again, I was unfamiliar with them before I started researching for this interview, what I saw was kind of imagine if Google Sheets actually did something instead of just kind of store data in different ways. Like what if you could like start a process and have it blast through all of the sort of steps that you might and kind of automate some of those steps that gets to actionable moments? For your team, whatever the size,
2: yeah, I think I think you hit it right on the head. I, I think it's um, uh, Google Sheets and Excel are fantastic products for certain use cases. And what we find is that yeah,
0: let's 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 be let's let's be nice to 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 Excel. Google Sheets is a pale pale imitation of Excel. I, I use I use Google Sheets probably ten times more than I use Excel, but Excel is you know it's a rocket ship.
2: Yeah, these are long, long long-lasting franchises, and and they're really not going anywhere. What we're seeing, though, is that people's sensitivity around uh, right tool, right situation is a little bit higher than it was a decade ago. Uh, So people are saying, if I have to work with others on a project, a program, or a process, the best vehicle is probably not jamming it into a spreadsheet, Period. And they're looking to capitalize on what's familiar to them. Like, okay, is this new thing that I'm being asked to use or that I just found, does it play off of what I already know? And then what does it do dramatically better? And that could be that better might be a better way to organize, a better way to structure, a better way to automate, a better way to report out on a dashboard. And what I think people often forget is the question isn't, is it possible? The question is, is it possible and how easily can I get it done? And there have been plenty of technologies over the last decade that allow you to do things. The problem is most of those have required uh, a technical resource, IT, to help you or a developer to pull it off. And that's really what we have enabled people to achieve without relying always on those types of resources.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge uh, spreadsheet uh, geek, and I, you know, I just love putting things into rows and columns and trying to crank out uh, um, understandings from those numbers and what they show. Um, but I, I, it does seem like there, there are options for people who are not like that. And you know, Salesforce is another company that's taking great advantage
2: of that. Yeah, I think there, there are so many options. And uh, what, what people are really trying to pull off right now is how do I achieve something better, but do it extraordinarily quickly? for a lower total cost and the total cost people often think of like what's the cost to subscribe it's like no folks it's not always the cost to subscribe it's the cost to actually engineer it configure it train on it change manage it that is the bigger cost usually and uh i think people are starting to and as evidenced by having 100 clients on the platform now people are starting to understand the difference between is it possible to who can pull it off and the big audience that we've unlocked over the last number of years is how do you get someone on a business team who can articulate what their need is to actually configure and engage others. And that might sound super simple because business users have been at the center of many processes. The problem is most of those processes in the past have come in the form of a message or a video meeting or an email. And and we see scores of people and companies now in teams saying, hey, we want to participate. We want to we want part of the action. And and I think what we've been able to do well, especially in the last few years, is how do you support that intent on the business team while also honoring the needs of IT? It needs to be secure. It needs to be governable. It needs to scale. Those are all things that (laughs) business teams sometimes think less about. But it's very, very relevant as you scale it within a business.
0: So, t- talk to me about how you um, get out to customers and let them know that you're there.
2: Well, from the very beginning, Corey, our, our belief was you can't, we can't introduce friction into our usage model. And what I mean by that is if you found Smartsheet online and you were searching for a better way to manage a process, a better way to manage your project, and you initiate a trial and you start using it. What we never do, what we haven't done in 17 years as a business, we have never forced you to buy a license for the people with whom you collaborate, and we don't care if that's two people, we don't care if that's 10 people, we don't care if that's 2,000 people. And what that, and, and the reason we felt so strongly about that initially was that's how people had been working in spreadsheets. It was it was it was perceived as being universally free. Everyone in the world has access to Google Sheets for free most people working within businesses can still use an excel workbook so what we said was we said have confidence in the platform get people exposed to it let people share others to it and the way we monetize it is if someone says hey this thing works really well i want to manage a program or a process or a, uh, a program for myself at that point when that person that next person wants to create something and manage something that's right. when the subscription is needed
0: that's the freemium model. And you guys also, to be clear, spend about 64% of revenues on sales and marketing. We do. Which is a lot.
2: We do. Relative to the others in our category, it's actually um, it's actually not as much. We have some in category who are spending 100% of sales and marketing. So, right, uh, right, right. And more, yeah, 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 So I think I think as we, you know, when you look at a, a north of 40% growth company with net dollar retention of north of 130, that's what we call a green light. So we've definitely been in investment posture for a number of years now.
0: Talk to me about the history of the business. I mentioned you're in Bellevue, Washington, right in the shadows of of Microsoft. Is that an important uh, uh, piece of your history?
2: Uh, I think I think less so. In that we um, we chose this location because this is where the founders happened to be happened to have have lived. Um, you know, today we have a, a minority of our workforce here in the Northwest region. Uh, we're across um, the UK, Australia. Uh, many parts of the U.S. In the last two years, Corey, I mean, we've, we've moved our workforce to a more of a distributed model where uh, a short 18 months ago, 8% of our U.S.-based workforce worked within 50 miles of one of our big offices. Today, it's 33% live outside of a 50-mile radius. So there's just been this big shift to that remote and hybrid work. I think the, the benefit of working in the same city as an Amazon, as a Microsoft, is that you have a lot of people in the, in the region who are interested in solving technology-based problems. So when you think about how we- Well, you've got,
0: you've also got UW there, which University of Washington is, you know, one of the greatest engineering schools in the world, and and particularly around computer science and software engineering.
2: Absolutely, and that's, a, that's an amazing feeder program. It's not only the UW computer science department, it's also their information school, which is about bridging uh, human behavior with the technology piece. So you have uh, business analysts, you have BI researchers, AI, you have all those things that are really, really growing nicely within that university.
0: Do you know, I was up there um, a few weeks ago, I was lecturing at the Foster School of Business on uh, financial fraud to a graduate accounting class, but uh, uh, I met with an admissions counselor who told me that the computer science program has a less than 1% acceptance rate. So the students who think that they can get in and go through the hassle of applying, 99% of them get rejected. It was I was just blown away by that
2: stat. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we're seeing with technology is that the pathway into technology does not have to be grounded in computer science. And when you think about the... the, the Better not be if you got a 99% right. rejection rate at the great schools. Right, so when you go work for a McLaren racing, when you go work for an Amman, when you go work for a Pfizer and people are using Smartsheet, to actually add value to those environments, you don't need to be a coder. You need to be able to articulate a business problem, you need to understand the flow of information, you need to be able to understand how to report out on something. But that is the huge unlock, where the majority of people working with these systems now are not technical. That doesn't mean we shouldn't invest like mad in STEM, no, please, more is better. But the, the percentage of the population who isn't steeped in those skill sets should be able to contribute. And I think that's what is such a better position today in tech than we had a decade ago. So uh, we've we've talked a lot, but I want to talk some more about
0: how the product works mm-hmm. because um, I don't know if I've done a good enough job of explaining it. You don't have to use McLaren as an example, although I've been watching the uh, mm-hmm. the F one documentaries on Netflix and they're jaw droppingly yep. cool. But maybe you can use an example of. Sort of where SmartSheets drops into a business process and how someone might use it, and get as specific as you can.
2: Sure, please. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one that many people can relate to. Um, one of our one of our early clients, seven eight years ago, uh, came to us. They are an event architecture firm named Populous and Populus um, they run uh, events like the Super Bowl. They participate in the Olympics, uh, the college football championship, and. What they needed to do is they needed to have a way to manage the setup of an, event, of an event, the execution of an event, the teardown of an event. And they had to work with many people, not only inside their group, but people who participated, vendors, volunteers, what have you. So they had a number of needs. They had a, they had to plan for the event. That is a, a program schedule, a project schedule. It lists all the elements. You put those into a smart sheet. You can either import those, you can create those, and that that really is your master schedule. Well, a schedule is fine, but things don't always go to schedule. So one of the capabilities we have is the ability to use forms for feedback or issues. So when an issue arises at one of these big events, it needs to be submitted somewhere. When it gets submitted, it doesn't just sit in an inbox, someone needs to be alerted. So that's the workflow element. So the story of what's your program, what's your project? What do we expect to have happen? What actually happens and when issues arise, how do you collect information from it, that whole life cycle of your plan definition to the flow of information into your team, the ability to identify workflow rules and route those accordingly and then have a dashboard to say, what's the health of our program or our event? all Those are the types of things we allow people to do in Smartsheet. Now. The person who has lived in Seattle, who's acutely familiar with the capabilities of one of the very large companies with you know, 84 products will say, well, that's possible with something else. I'm like, absolutely. And what team would you have built that for you? So the difference right. isn't that every one of those things I just mentioned, like, oh my gosh, we've never heard of that before. The difference is who can actually pull it off. And that is where, when you look at how our company has grown from a $100,000 business to a three-quarter of a billion-dollar business growing north of 40%. It is capitalizing on the ability for people to take action. It's not inventing every single feature first time ever. It's making it accessible. So that Super Bowl example of how we got started with Populous is one of my favorites because it spoke to a small team graduating from having tracked that event in an Excel workbook to a cloud-based, highly connected, collaborative setting, which has now permeated many of the different companies that, that work with Populous.
0: And you've seen your growth rate, you know, through the pandemic, your growth rate picked up uh, slightly you know, over the high 30s to, to mid to low 40s, uh, re- to, uh, top-line revenue growth on a year-over-year year basis, uh, which suggests that work from home, and you would expect work from home would be a good and not really good environment for for you because that's not just the way you shifted your company. What I mean is that the the people who use your products don't have the ability to walk down the hallway to it and ask them to build a new piece of software.
2: I think, I think the the primary beneficiaries of this work from home were the non negotiables. Can I speak with Corey? I probably need a video meeting for that. Can I sign a document? I can't go to Corey's office anymore. Those were the mega beneficiaries. I think for our category, this started well before COVID set in, I would say that we've been the beneficiaries of compression and what i mean by that is more people are have become aware of the tooling that's out there but i would say we we were able to to maintain a high rate of growth but we didn't see this big pop fade like first year in covid sales doubled or sales rate doubled and then we backed off
0: right the peloton no, Zoom no, 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 docusign
2: not at all uh, not at all it's it's been a very steady growth engine And and I I believe that we're still in the early innings of this game. We still have single digit percentage penetration in this category. And uh, so we haven't it wasn't one of these massive pull forwards as we saw in in a couple of other, other categories.
0: So as you as you watch us, you know, where we are, let's let's take this interview to summer of 2022. You know, this is a really interesting time. We see news of particularly tech companies pulling back. I think tech companies really more than anything else. Um, we see a lot of signs of a super strong economy, not least of which high inflation, um with some steam coming off to be sure, with Fed tightening, whatever blah, blah. don't make me sound like I still work <laughs> at CNBC. but we but there there you know there are these questions about sort of what's happening with customers, what's happening with businesses uh, that serve those customers. And I wonder what you're seeing.
2: I think people are judging the providers who are trying to sell to them on a slightly different dimension now i think for during during the up and to the right you know a few years ago it was all about hey can we work better can we feel better about our work and now it's so what can you like let's talk quantifiable benefit so mark you're telling me to consider smartsheet uh, and now our discussions are more grounded in by utilizing smartsheet and the ability for us to scale in your enterprise you can install 20 percent more Imaging million-dollar imaging pieces of equipment than you could last year, with the same number of people. Is that interesting to you? This isn't grounded in feel better about working with Corey. This is we were, we are going to deliver more items to our customers. No, with to the be same sure, team. no one has felt
0: better about working with Corey. <laughs> now nobody. Not my. But I would say the spouse, rotation. Not my kids. Not my coworkers.
2: <laughs> but I think that rotation has occurred. Corey, people are now asking for the quantifiable benefits as opposed to the the um, uh, the qualitative and that's really changed in the last 4 or 5 months? No, I think it's an extension of what we started to see 2 years ago with COVID. Now the pressure point has changed though. The pressure point has been from we don't know what is going to do to the future of our business, therefore we must prioritize to now we actually have we actually have financial drivers. We have inflation coming up. We have higher expectations in terms of earnings as opposed to just top line growth. That's why it's we see a continuation albeit slightly different drivers
0: so that sales army that you've got out there sucking up 62 percent of your revenues uh you've you've got those people out there changing their message saying when you knock on a door you had a warm customer before go back to them with some hard metrics about how they'll the company will make more money not just how they'll enjoy doing so
2: yeah i think and it's not it's not like you ignore the qualitative side of it you have to have that right in our business you have to resonate with the end with the end customer now we're fortunate because those 400-plus sellers we have are complemented by 200,000 new trials coming in every month. So we have a massive reach online. We have a lot of ways for people to find us digitally. And then that is paired with our professional sales force. Um, but the business is really uh, developed in two ways. One, a self-directed motion. Someone finds us online, to start using us. And then our sales team helping people understand the enterprise capabilities we have that are unique to SmartSheet that someone might benefit from as they scale with us. So it's really a one-two element as opposed to just a sales team.
0: Have conversion rates changed over the course of the last? I don't know the the last uh, year or two. They've remained. Like, have there been more trials and therefore fewer conversions? Have there been? more conversions and fewer trials like I would imagine those, those those two numbers are really important. I don't know if you share those numbers or not.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest uh, influencer on conversion rate is the mix between sort of developed countries and less developed countries. So you can go out and you can get a lot of trials from an environment which may be at the earlier journey in their migration to cloud and you might have very low conversion rates. So I think when I was if I was if I was an investor looking at uh, someone in our category, I'd ask that question. What is the what is the profile of your lead flow? Uh, so we have some, we still have some some segments which are extraordinarily high. You want
0: more leads from uh, from from Los Angeles and Chicago <laughs> and 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 I don't know uh, Virginia than you want from Delhi.
2: Yeah, I, I would say it's not a U.S. versus a non-U.S. statement. I mean, we have we have many environments now which are converting at a very nice rate globally. And when you look at our business being an 80% U.S. business uh, versus uh, nearly 20% from outside the U.S., we're very interested. That's why we're investing in the U.K. and Sydney, putting our roots down in Japan. We're really looking at diversifying now.
0: Fascinating company, uh, fascinating story, and I wish you a lot of success. Mark Mater is the CEO of Smartsheet. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Corey. All right, when the drill drill down continues, I said, we're going to have one number that tells us
1: a little bit more about Smartsheet right after this the drill down is brought to you by era with era give yourself an information advantage connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence that's era aiera.com and you can listen to this show every version of the show
0: every single episode of this show by asking your smart speaker to play the drill down podcast then you can hear what you were just listening to or maybe our most recent
1: whatever you like it's right there on your smart speaker just gotta ask. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drilldownpod and connect with us directly at our website bizpod.net. All right,
0: we're back with the Drilldown Podcast. We've got the Drilldown Byte, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Smartsheet. Isaac, Smartsheet actually went public on the same day in 2018 when DocuSign went public. I didn't realize that until and I happened to mention DocuSign during the interview, but when I think about DocuSign, I think about how how big is their you know kind of addressable market? How many corporations are they inside of? And that's a valid statistic for SmartSheet. I was surprised by how many Fortune 500 companies have at least one paying account for SmartSheet. You want to guess what percentage that is? It's less than 100. Uh, it's more than zero.
1: Wow, thanks for narrowing it down. I mean, let me say 30%. It is a lot
0: more, 80% of Fortune 500 companies have at least one paying account. You know, the contract value could be all over the map. But uh, uh, I thought that was really interesting that 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 sort of suggests, you know, they've gotten their leads into the places that could ultimately spend a lot of money with them. Already they have. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed that all right we've been listening to the drill down podcast we are grateful for your time isaac webster is our executive producer our editor extraordinary is ben wilson the drill down is a production of the business podcast network